0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. So if you'll open your Bibles with me or follow along on the screen as we look at Mark 4, 1-9. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about Him, So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun came out... It was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. While other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. But other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Well,
1: good morning. Good morning. Like Stacey mentioned, my name is Matt Walker. i got to figure out where to put my water. Um, my name is Matt Walker. I've been at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church Music Row since day one, actually. Uh, for you hipsters, it was called Christ Presbyterian Church in town back in those days. Um, I actually worked for Stacey, like you mentioned, at RUF, Reform University Fellowship, at Vanderbilt, right across the street. He left after my first year, which I feel like I should have taken as a hint, uh, but he hasn't gotten rid of me yet. Um, And then also, like you mentioned, I have the privilege of coming on part-time as pastoral intern and youth coordinator. So I'm excited to get to work with a lot of you and serve the church in that way. Um, Before we dive in, I want to ask for two quick concessions. The first is, it's been, I think, eight years since I've preached. It's been a long time. I do, however, in my day job, talk about insurance to groups of employees, so at any point, if I get really nervous, I want to reserve the right to just pivot to talking about duck bulls and copays, if that's okay <laughs> with you all. Um, Second, this is the first time I've worn an over-ear mic. It's driving me crazy so far this morning. So alternatively, if I get really nervous, I want to reserve the right to bust out some Ed Sheeran that my wife and I saw last night. Uh, so two things. Um, so diving into our passage this morning, Um, A quick reminder about parables. So parables make up about a third of Jesus' teaching. Uh, What a parable does, it's a story that moves his hearers sort of from the material world. So he tells a story about things that are in front of him or are in front of his followers. But it moves from the material to the spiritual. Um, He's meeting followers where they are in parables. So in this one in particular, uh, his followers would be uh, a part of an agrarian society So when they heard about seed and soil and a sower, that would have connected immediately. They would have been used to those types of things. Um, He also teaches in parables because he likes to teach in stories. Jesus is a master teacher. Uh, You probably respond better to hearing stories than just instruction. And so that's why he teaches in stories as well. Parables also offer just a snapshot uh, of what it looks like to live as a part of the kingdom of God. As I was thinking about that in particular, I thought about a time when I was in high school. I used to play in a soccer tournament every year in Disney World, uh, which was a really cool opportunity. One year, my middle brother Mike came with my dad and I to the soccer tournament uh, because he wanted to ride the roller coasters, wanted to go to the parks, so on our off days we'd go to the parks. The problem was he hadn't been on a roller coaster in about a decade, and we found out the first morning that he had terrible motion sickness. So we get on the, the, the roller coasters, he's having a miserable time, so we kind of scrapped that day. The next day we devised a plan, we got Dramamine um, to, to, sort of, to sort of get him on Dramamine the morning of, so maybe he wouldn't get his motion sick on the roller coasters. As some of you know, one of the side effects of Dramamine is drowsiness, uh, and I think somehow we slipped him extra drowsy, Dramamine, that morning. Uh, So in every line waiting on the roller coaster, he's like nodding off, falling asleep. Like I'm having to like nudge him to go forward in line and some of those long waits. Um, And if you looked at us, it would look like Mike was having a terrible day. But then we would get on the ride, he would ride it, he would have a good time. The adrenaline would kick in. We'd, you know, rock and roller coaster, Space Mountain, Tower of Terror, all the hits. And what I remember distinctly is as you would, as they would guide you through the, the gift store the next day, there's also, uh, or the, after the ride was over, there's also a screen that takes a picture of everybody that's on the ride. Uh, I'm sure you've seen those before. And if you just looked at that screen, it would look like Mike was having the time of his life. So that little snapshot offered a picture of how his day was really going when all else would say that he was having a terrible day if you just looked at him. So just like that screen on the overpriced ride photo, kingdom parables give us a snapshot of what it really looks like to live in God's kingdom. In the parable of the sower specifically this morning, Mark is giving us four snapshots or four scenarios that specifically address what does it look like to receive the word of God? What does it look like to hear the word of God? So that's our question for today. What does it look like to be a hearer of God's word? And then what is your response? That's our question. We're going to look at it in three ways, and I apologize, they are alliterative. Uh, I didn't intend for it to be that way, but the passage made me. So our three points are the seed, the soils, and the sower. Um, so starting out, the seed. Uh, before, I, before I dive in, so we read verses 1 through 9 this morning. Verses 10 through 13, uh, the disciples actually come to Jesus and sort of say, what did you mean by this parable? They were confused. And so then verses 14 down through 20 in this passage, Jesus actually interprets the parable for the disciples. So when I read back through the passage, I'm going to read the first part that we read, but also Jesus' interpretation of uh, that portion as well. Uh, So starting back in verse 1, the seed. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And then dropping down to verse 14, Jesus explains that the sower is sowing the word of God. So right here specifically, Jesus is comparing the word of God to a seed I want to camp out there for just a minute uh, it 's not actually the only place in the New Testament that Jesus compares the Word of God to a seed before we talk about that, I would sort of want to answer the question: What is the Word of God here i 'm just going to use the Word of God to mean the Gospel, uh, which is just that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that came down from heaven He was the, the promised Messiah. And in coming in his death and resurrection, he atoned for our sins, justified us so that we could be freed from sin. So that's what they mean by the word as a seed. That's, it's just the gospel. But two other places where the word is compared to a seed in the New Testament, James 1, 21, uh, the author says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God. So implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then 1 Peter 1, 23 says, You have been born again Not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable one. So Jesus compares the word of God to a seed. What are we to make of this analogy? The word of God as a seed. The first thing that I want to point out about that is that there's almost nothing in the world more gentle than a seed. If you think about it, seeds are one of the smallest things that you can handle. You, you put just a little bit of topsoil over them, they need just a little bit of water, and then they gently grow over time. Seeds are very gentle. When I, uh, growing up, I was fortunate to live about 100 yards from my grandmother. Uh, and in my small town, Hartsell, Alabama, she had this beautiful garden and yard. There was a, a food garden at one point, but she had rose bushes, rose, rose beds, lots of flowers. Um, So much so that there was like a historic tour of homes in our town, and her home was on, just her yard was on that tour. It was so beautiful. And if anybody asked her what it took to maintain a yard like that, she would always downplay it. It wasn't that much work. But I was lucky enough to sort of get to see the behind the scenes. And a couple of things stood out to me. Um, What it took for grandmother Walker to maintain that yard uh, was first deliberateness. So every rose needed to be cut at a certain place. The grass could only be uh, cut to a certain height. It was tenderness, so sometimes, surely, we were you know excavating or having to, to dig things, but most of the time, it was just little tender adjustments that she was having to make to the garden to get it to grow uh, to its fullest potential. potential. And then it was also, there was a cadence or a rhythm to it. You could only water at certain times of the day. You could only prune at certain times of day. And so her experience with the yard took lots of care. Uh, to, to summarize, really, it was it was an organic exercise. So, the word, like a seed, is all of those things. It is organic. It is not like uh, construction or mining or a, or a demolition, but instead it grows organically, just like my grandmother's uh, beautiful yard. This to me, I don't know if you would agree with me, this to me is deeply frustrating that the word grows slowly. Um, our timelines are usually shorter than the word of God's timelines. Time Uh, We tend to want immediate results, so this can be deeply frustrating, and it can make the word at first look very weak and vulnerable. It comes to us like a seed. It is not only gentle, though, like a seed, it is also powerful like a seed. So we also know that seeds hold incredible power. If you just think about the acorn of one giant oak tree, it can fall, sprout. uh, Another oak tree, that tree, can sprout a 100 oak trees and so on. Seeds have incredible power as well. We know that that's true about the word of God. We see that in the power of creation in Genesis 1. Jesus speaks the word and things appear. That's the power of creation. It also has the power of recreation. Later on in the gospel, we see a story about Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus who who dies and is dead. Uh, Everybody's really sad. That's the famous passage where it just says, Jesus wept. Jesus is moved. And what does Jesus do? He approaches Lazarus' is grave, and all he says is, Lazarus, come out. So the, the word, the seed, also has the power of recreation. It also has power over nature. Later on in this gospel, actually just in a few verses, Jesus falls asleep during a, a big storm uh, and he wakes up. The disciples are terrified, and all he says is, uh, He just says, Quiet, be still, and the storm stops. So we see then that the seed is also very powerful. So the word of God is not only gentle, it it is also very powerful. A few points of application uh, that I wanted to draw out on this uh, this first point. Uh, The first is, I want to suggest that many of us are deeply frustrated by the Christian life because we don't view the word of God as a seed. I think immediately about my two-year-old Henry. Uh, I, I cook him breakfast almost every morning. It's usually eggs most morning. Most mornings, And in his estimation, when I crack the eggs in the bowl, that's when they should be on his plate in front of him. There's no in-between time for me to heat the stove to beat the eggs, uh, to cook them, to scramble them, scramble them, let them cool down. Um, he just wants his food right then and there. Like last night we were at dinner um, and at Taqueria del Sol, and a, a, a waiter came by with a, an order of chips and guacamole that wasn't ours. And just the, seeing that waiter walk by with somebody's food made him lose it. Like he wants his food right then and there. Um, I, I think we are exactly like him as we approach the Christian life. We're anxious about why things aren't changing. There are achievements in our lives that we haven't gotten to that we're frustrated by. We're waiting to, till we can figure our life out in some ways. But if the word is like a seed, it takes time to root. It also means that the small things matter. This is a tough one for me, so the little mundane aspects of your life uh, that you don't want to pay attention to, if the word of God is like a seed, those things matter. So my posture towards Henry when he's yelling at me to cook his eggs in the morning, that matters. The little decisions that we make are important if the word of God is like a seed. We are always moving in one direction or the other. Second point of application is if you are here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I would ask just simply that have you considered that this is what the kingdom of God looks like? Maybe you have only been presented the kingdom of God as abrasive or brash or demolishing. Maybe you've experienced that in teaching or just from other Christians. And so I would just simply ask to invite you uh, to at least take Jesus at his word here. Uh, That that is not how he describes his kingdom. Instead, he describes it like a gentle yet powerful seed. So we see that the kingdom of God always comes to us through the word of God, and that word is is like a seed. It is gentle yet powerful. So that is our first point is the seed. The second point is the soils. Before we dive into the four soils, this is sort of a diagnostic of our hearts. I think it's interesting, and I wanted to highlight that the parable actually spends no time discussing the, the skill or the quality of the sower, but only the condition of the soils. All four of the soils receive the seed in the same way. Uh, And so the the point is we all have access to the seed. And I want to talk specifically about the access. We think about the original hearers. How would they have gotten the word of God preached to them like this? First, they would have had to live in the region that Jesus is from. So it would have to be near Jesus. They would have to find him, follow him, and then just wait for him to teach a parable. So they had very limited access to Jesus. And he is still saying to them... Uh, that the quality of the sower, their access, it it doesn't matter. And so how much more for us, how much more access do we have to this same teaching? Like we could pull out our our phones right now, find this parable in 100 different English translations. We could find commentaries, we could find sermons from our favorite pastors about this parable. But what what it's telling us is that that access doesn't change your heart. We have much more access than they did back then to this teaching but it still describes us perfectly, which I think is, is interesting. We need it almost more so than they do. So the four soils, the first is the path, which I will call the hard heart. So that is in, uh, back in verse four. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. And then skipping down to verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the the material explanation for this, I mentioned at the beginning, he he makes material claims and then sort of moves to the spiritual. The material claims here is just in the the fields where he sowed, it was sort of borderless, but people needing to get from point A to point B most quickly would would walk over the same places through the fields uh, continuously, and it would mat down the grass and make a hard path. And in particular, he says the path was so hard that it couldn't receive a seed when it was sown. Um, And so the birds would swoop in and eat the seed from the path. His interpretation lower is uh, that Satan immediately comes and takes away the word from soils like that or from hearers like that. This reminds me of Genesis 3. So I talked about creation, Jesus speaking creation into existence uh, in the last point. In Genesis 1. In Genesis 3, we famously see the fall uh, when Adam and Eve uh, sin. They're separated from God uh, and are are kicked out of the garden. Um, And if you read Genesis 3, the the account, uh, the serpent approaches Adam and Eve and says, did God actually say that you could not eat of any tree in the garden? And so In that scene, also, the serpent, who is Satan, is coming in and questioning a word that has been given to God and then snatching it out from under them. We don't have time this morning to discuss Satan really in depth, but I at least want to acknowledge, like Jesus does, uh, that Satan is real and has a role in the way that we hear the word of God. Um, And specifically, I, I do want to mention that Jesus isn't saying that Satan gives us a hard heart. Jesus is only saying that Satan is taking advantage of the conditions. He is lurking like the birds waiting uh, to, to take advantage of the conditions of a hard heart. Walker Percy is a, a famous southern author. He wrote a novel called The Movie Goer. Um, I didn't write down this quote, so I'm going to try to quote it from memory. I apologize if I butcher it. Um, but he said, losing hope isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. There's something much worse. It, the losing hope and hiding it from yourself is the worst thing. Um, And so that's the perfect description of a hard heart. It is not just losing hope or coming on hard times uh, or or struggling, but it's actually an act of hiding that hope from yourself and hardening your heart. What does this look like practically? Uh, The the two things I thought about immediately are it looks like groupthink and echo chambers. We can have groupthink and echo chambers both in religious and non-religious settings. Um, It's surrounding yourself by people that uh, only... Think like you, look like you, feel like you, uh, and creating a sense of absolute correctness that hardens your heart to any questioning or any other opinions. So I think a hard heart can look like groupthink. I think it can also look like cynicism. Um, The world does have lots of of hard things in it, and I think it's easy for us to see those hard things and to harden our heart towards any possibility of change and be completely disillusioned. I love what C.S. Lewis says, About cynicism. I also forgot to write this quote down, apparently. Um, But he says uh, essentially, um, the point, he says, you can't go on seeing through everything. So, cynicism, seeing through something. um, He says, if you see through everything, or the the point of seeing through anything is to see something through it. That if you see through everything, the world is invisible. Um, And so, I, I think that's exactly what our hard hearts tend to do, is we see through everything, become disillusioned, and create. An invisible world. So a hard heart is one uh, that is hardened from the word of God in a way that the the birds can come and take the the seed from the path. The second soil then is a rocky heart or a shallow, or a rocky soil or a shallow heart. This is in verse 5 and 6. So in verse 5, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And then going down to verse 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this is uh, less so rocky soil, like rocks mixed in with dirt. More so it is a layer of uh, limestone underneath a small layer of topsoil. Uh, so the, the seed can grow at first, but it can only grow down to the hard stop of the limestone. And then when the sun gets hot, it doesn't have enough roots to withstand the heat, and it withers away. Uh, Jesus' interpretation is that it's a, a group of hearers that at first appear to hear the word, but the word just has not taken root because something is blocking it. As I thought about this, I... I mentioned I'm from a, a small town. We got most of our trends like 10 years behind everybody else. Um, I don't know if you experienced this, but there was a group of people in my high school that whatever the, the current trend was, you'd like show up the next semester, and they were doing that trend. So if it was like the cowboy boots and belt buckle, it is a small town, I know. Uh, cowboy boots and belt buckle, like they would show up one semester and be all in on their cowboy hats and that. And the next semester, you'd see them, and they're like, they've got a skateboard, and they're in like a, a punk phase, and then they're in like a preppy phase. It's the people that are just sort of riding whatever fad is in right now. That's obviously kind of a trivial analogy, but I think our hearts are somewhat like that as we approach the gospel. There are hard things in the world. We are looking for, we're looking for answers. We're looking for help. Uh, We see things within us that scare us or without us that scare us. And Christianity offers the promise of uh, a new life, of blessings. So I think it's easy for us to come into a place like this to try on Christianity, but to have hard stops within us that don't let it take root. Applications for this soil, the things that I immediately think of, are, are, are just really practical. It's when the word of God clashes with our political outlook. The word of God clashes with almost every political party that you could think of. It's also in the Word of God clashes with how you want to spend your money or what you want to do with your body. We come in, we like some of Christianity, we try it on, but then there's a point where we, we can't let it get in deep enough uh, because, we, because we have that hard stop uh, in, in the way. Um, Rocky soils, in, in this rocky soil, there's never a trust transfer. So we're never allowing the word to, to, to grow more deeply in us. We're never trusting in the actual word of God. The next soil is weeds. Uh, I will call the divided heart. That's in verse 7. Um, so other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and, it, and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then moving down to verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who heard the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and prove it unfruitful. Or, and it proves unfruitful. So the weeds, this is, uh, the seed lands on good soil. So it's good, accepting soil. But it lands among weeds and thorns also. Both grow up at the same time. And the weeds and the thorns ultimately choke out the fruit. Uh, The interpretation is is pretty straightforward as well. The two analogies, I think they're kind of funny, the two analogies that I thought of were, um, have you ever gone to Target hoping to buy just just like a gallon of milk? Uh, And when you walk into Target, they walk you by that discount section in the front. And you you have to round around. So you you go to Target to buy a gallon of milk, all of a sudden it's an hour later uh, and you've spent $100 at Target and you have way more than just a gallon of milk. Maybe you even forgot the gallon of milk, I don't know. That's the trivial one. The, the other one is, how many, times have you, how many times have you picked up your phone to do something, like answer a text, read an email, uh, and you, 30 minutes later, you realize that you haven't done that thing that you picked up your phone to do, and you can't even remember what that thing was? Instead, you've just been watching, like somehow TikToks on Facebook is a thing now that I do, because I, I think at heart I'm a boomer. Um, or you've been like just doom scrolling Twitter. You've been doing something, and you can't remember why you picked up your phone to start with. Those are funny, trivial examples, but I think it's indicative of something larger, is that we are a people that are deeply divided. Our hearts are deeply divided. Um, specifically here, uh, he, he names a few things. He, um, so he says, sorry, let me find my passage. Uh, he mentions cares of the world, uh, riches and the desire for other things are the things that choke us out. So I want to say, he's not saying that any of those things are necessarily bad in of themselves. So those things can be very good things. We are we're made to have desires. We are made to, to have cares. We're made to work and make money. Uh, he's not saying that those things are inherently bad. What he is saying is that those things are deceitful. And I think we understand this. Lee Eric preached a couple of weeks ago about um, the love of money. Uh, But it's when good things like that become ultimate things for us. Over time, they start to choke us out, just like the weeds. They burn us. They injure us. They harm us. Uh, It's when the good things in our life simply become the ultimate things. I've been in Nashville for about a decade. Um, And I I don't know if you saw it in the business journals last week. Nashville is back to pre-pandemic levels of daily growth. So over 100 people are moving here every day again. Uh, and my experience of Nashville has been that it is a city, it is a city where people come to get opportunity. Um, they come to make money. They come to make it. Uh, and I know we have, there's a lot of musicians at this church and in the city, and not even just musicians. Like, people come to Nashville uh, to make it. There's some inherent drive about Nashville where people want to have success or status or a job title or achievement or to live in a neighborhood. Um, and I, I, I think we we are like that too. I think we're caught up with it. And we look back at our life and we wonder why it's been, you know, maybe a decade that I've been here and why have I only grown a little or why have I not grown at all in some areas? And I think I, think I want to I suggest that I think it's because we're terrified to lose those things that choke us out. We're terrified of the things that we're using to identify ourselves. Uh, we're, we're terrified of getting rid of them and letting the word of God, the fruit of God, grow in our lives. Specifically, I was thinking, what are the things in your life um, that if they were threatened would make you feel undone? So what things in your life that if they started to fade away would you not feel like you had an identity anymore? Or alternatively, what are the things that control you? What are you staying up at night not being able to to get over. Those are the things probably that are choking you out from experiencing the fullness of God's word, like a seed rooted in your heart. So the weeds are a a divided heart. And then the last is a good or receptive heart. This is in verse 8, and then down in 20, verse 8 says, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then moving down to verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So this is what Jesus wants you to hear of all of these soils. This is the soil that he wants you to be. And what's interesting is the hearers back then, the most scandalous thing in, or the most shocking thing in this parable would be that 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Like 100-fold I read would be about 10 years worth of harvest. Uh, and so it's, Jesus is saying that you can bear lots of fruit if you have a good receptive heart. So what does a good or a receptive heart look like? A good heart is one that listens, is one that contemplates, is one that considers, is one that wrestles with God's word. He says three things. Uh, he says in verse 20, he says it's hearing the word, accepting the word, and then bearing fruit. A good heart is one that allows the word of God to be deeply rooted within it. It reminded me of Psalm 1, uh, which I I love. Um, I did actually write Psalm 1 down in my notes, which is great. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then specifically, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither." I think this is a perfect picture of what it looks like to have a good, receptive heart. Um, it's not ignoring the world. It, is, it, it talks here about the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seed of scoffers. It is ingesting other things and mulling them over and wrestling with the word of God. But ultimately his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and on that law he is meditating day and night. And the result is that he is like a tree, planted by streams of water. Um, a couple of other passages uh, that it made me think of. Um, Romans six twenty-two. but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. Ephesians 5, 9, for the fruit of life, light is found in all that is good and right and true. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you want to really simplify it, it's just the fruit of the Spirit. That's what having a receptive heart looks like. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It is goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So good, receptive, the good soil, a receptive heart, it hears the word, it meditates on it, it accepts it, and then it bears fruit. A couple of applications. These were the toughest, I think, for me. Um, I don't know if you'll feel the same way. Um, Good soil is far less concerned with how it is positioning itself, or far less concerned with the way it is inserting itself into situations, and it is far less concerned with fighting for its own hearing. Good soil is far more, uh, let me see if I can say this correctly, is far more interested uh, in, in giving a hearing to Jesus than getting a hearing for itself. It is not a selfish soil, uh, which is tough. I feel like in my everyday life, I almost feel like I'm on trial and I'm giving, sort of having to give like a, a testimony on the stand to people at work or at home. Uh, and, and this is, we're, we sort of live in that posture. But a good soil, Jesus tells us, um, is far more interested in giving the word a hearing rather than getting its own word. Ultimately, Jesus is just telling us to be still. He is telling us to be patient. He's telling us that the word of God is like a seed, it works slowly and deliberately over time, so we must be patient with ourselves and others. He's also, like I said at the top, the, the the skill of the sower is never questioned, just the condition of the heart. So he's telling us, don't forget who is the one that is doing the sowing. Uh, so it should drive us to humility as well. So the soils, the, the, the concluding thought I had for the soils is verse 9 here. Um, it says, And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I kept reading that passage over and over again as I was preparing. The question I asked myself is, Who has ears to hear? It's everybody. We all have ears to hear. Um, it doesn't exclude anybody. We, we are all hearers in some way. Um, but specifically, it is only here asking us to hear. It is not asking us to soften our own hearts or to break the, the, the layer of limestone. The hard stops we have, it's not asking us to, to pull weeds in our divided heart. It's simply asking us to believe in the one who can do those things, who is the sower. And that's our last point. This is where the passage ultimately leads us, is that we have a gentle yet powerful seed. The word of God is gentle and powerful like a seed. We get this great diagnostic of the soils. What, what does our heart really look like? How is our posture towards Jesus? And then it ultimately leads us to the sower who is Jesus. I think it's interesting that Jesus describes himself in this way first, not as like a, an Old Testament... Um, Description that's picked up in Hebrews is God as a consuming fire. Or even later in the New Testament, Jesus says that he comes with a sword. Uh, but first he's describing himself as just a sower, which is a farmer. And that's who that's who Jesus is. Um, his entire life was a picture of giving up power, of humility. Uh, he came uh, from heaven to earth, he gave up that right. Uh, put on the put on flesh. He took on human condition. The human condition. He took on all of our sin, anxieties. Um, he was a homeless carpenter for most of his life, and ultimately he he lived a perfect life, yet died a criminal's death. Not even in the city. They sent him outside of the city to be to be crucified. So Jesus's entire life is a picture uh, of this gentle yet powerful seed. He is he is characterized by giving up power. He finally, uh, in, in John 12, he, uh, we see that the sower actually becomes the seed as well. Uh, so in John 12, it's right after Jesus in, enters Jerusalem uh, on a donkey uh, of all animals. Um, the disciples bring a, a group of Greek people to meet Jesus. Uh, and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And anyone, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I love that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain, unless a seed of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He became voluntarily weak for us He is the seed that goes into the ground and dies so that we could bear fruit. That's the secret to the the power of the gospel. As vulnerable and as weak as it can look to us, that's the secret to its power is its weakness. There's a concept in the Old Testament, or in the whole Bible, of first fruits. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites would give the very first of their harvest to God to both honor him, but to also say that we trust you in giving us the, the rest of the harvest. They would give their first portion to God. In the New Testament, Jesus is actually described as our first fruits. Um, so our, the, the concept is our best portion, um, our trust, everything that we have is in our first fruits, Jesus. There's nothing we can bring, there's nothing we can claim other than Jesus, our first fruits. Um, so the, simply, the, I, I would leave you with a question um, this morning. Is what, what soil, I know we're coming from a thousand different places this morning, but what soil represents your heart this morning? What soil? And I would simply ask then, um, if we could all come in humility, take Jesus at his word here uh, and, and listen to him and accept him so that we can bear fruit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 um, says, and I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This is our sower. He is the only one that can remove our, our hard hearts, can soften them. He can remove the rocks from our hearts. He can, he can cure our divided hearts. He's the only one it can. So I'd simply ask you to come and consider Jesus. He alone can give you a heart of flesh and make you bear fruit. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that we have uh, a space to to get to dive into it. We thank you that we have your word preserved in our language and can look at it. We have so much access to it. It is such a blessing. I pray that you would be um, with us this morning, remind us that you are the only one that can give us soft hearts, that you are the only one that can remove the the blockages from our hearts. You are the only one that can cure our undivided hearts. You are the sower who became the seed so that we could bear fruit. I pray that you would help us, Spirit, to meditate on that, to chew on it, to wrestle with it uh, this morning and throughout the week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.